passage, um, and we've been studying through the book of Ezra since, ever since we came off of the quarantine time, and we've been looking at the people of Israel and how God has been working with them from the time of the divided kingdom uh, under the prophets Jeremiah uh, and others, and then into the uh, captivity Uh, The nation of Babylon comes and takes uh, the southern kingdom away for a period of 70 years, and now the return uh, from exile and how they're getting ready to kind of set up their their temple and their homes, and really we're about 400 years away now from Christ. There are really only, what is it, 11, 13, something like that, books in the Old Testament. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. I didn't count the exact number. But we've talked about this before, that there are about 11, 12, 13 books that actually push the story ahead, uh, that you can read like history books. All the other books, namely the prophets and even books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which are just giving of the law, they kind of fit in these 11 books or 12 books that structurally give us the New Testament. And Ezra and Nehemiah are those last two books. And so this is as close as we're going to get in the Old Testament, even though there's a lot of Old Testament left after the book of Ezra. Those are all the prophets that fit into the the kings and the chronicles and so forth. So you understand we are in the the history of humankind. We're we're moving towards Christ, and God is preparing his people to receive that Messiah, which sadly they would reject. I referenced this verse 10 weeks ago when we started this study, it's from Romans 15, it's verse number 4. It says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. All that we have in the Old Testament, these stories and proverbs and historical accounts, all of those things were written so that we might learn from them and live our lives in a way that better aligns with how Christians should do that. We get hope from reading the Old Testament. We realize that God will and does fulfill His Word, that He is faithful, that He will not change. Get that. Mark, mark that. When you read the Old Testament, you, you read it and you receive hope. You see an unchanging God being faithful to His people even in the midst of their disastrous failures. So you get hope and you also get help help as far as how we should live our lives being faithful to the faithful one. We look at these people like Joseph, Daniel, Ezra, all of these individuals were real people who had to respond to situations and circumstances in their life, and and they give us a model or example on how we should or should not. We are to Ezra chapter 7 now. We've seen the people come back, celebrate different feasts, build the foundation of the temple, and then later the temple itself. And now, even though Ezra is named for the person Ezra, he has not been in the book up until this point. He, he shows up in chapter 7. Between chapter 6 and 7, if you take notes right in your Bible, or maybe you have a study Bible that tells you this, between chapter 6 and 7, there is a 60-year gap. We read the Bible and we don't necessarily see those things. But the the Passover celebration that happened after the the celebration of the building of the temple, 60 years now have passed and Ezra is brought into the story. We might ask why Ezra didn't return with the uh, first 
exiles from Babylon? Well, the obvious answer is he wasn't alive. Why his parents didn't return, we don't necessarily have the answer for that. But he's coming back from Babylon in another wave of exiles returning to their land. Now, just so you can track with me today, here's here's what we're going to talk about. Um, Three different things, and the majority of time is going to be spent on the first thing. Okay, so they all start with the letter D. That helps me. I don't know if it helps you. Um, First, there is a description of Ezra. Then there are decrees from the king. And then there is a doxology unto God. So we have a description of Ezra. That's basically where we're going to spend most of our time. And then we'll just tack these two things on the end. There are decrees from the king and a doxology unto God. So let's start with the description of Ezra, which that's why we read verses 1 to 10, because this, these verses give us that description. Now in at least three books that I consulted for this particular study, all three of those authors call Ezra this, a model reformer. He is a model reformer. Let's take the second word first, a reformer. What is a reformer? We tend to think about the Reformation. We think of uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Knox and uh, others who brought about great change from within a group. Okay? Um, for instance, I just read uh, an article last night about a basketball coach who was fired. There, this typically happens in sports. They say, we need a new voice to come in and provide change. Change is just another word for reform. We need someone to come in and reform the way this team thinks and plays, so we're going to fire you and bring this new coach in. That's, that's what a reformer does, working within the group to bring about change. Okay. Change how? I can think of two specific ways. Change in thinking or change in behavior. We think about a reformer in the spiritual sense We think about them changing in their thinking from lies to truth. We think about them changing behavior from immorality to morality. We think about Martin Luther, who brought about really the spiritual reformation in the 1500s. He was reforming from within the group of evangelicalism and Christianity the belief in certain lies to really following the truth. The lie that said... Every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Or the Pope is infallible. All these different arguments that he had, those were lies. He comes about and reforms to truth, saying Christ alone, faith alone. Sometimes a reformer comes in and changes behavior and points out uh, immorality that is happening within the group and demands change. I think that's primarily what we're going to see Ezra doing, but not yet today. We call him a reformer. We call him a model reformer. Would you like to be a person who brings about change from within a group? I would say that all of us want our lives to matter. All of us want our lives to have influence. And all of us want our lives to bring about positive change. We saw it even in a somewhat uh, perverted version in our video series when one of the gentlemen on the video said he wants to provide loving communities and promote goodness for goodness sake. That was a quote that we caught. Promote goodness for goodness sake. So he desires to to bring about this change. 
I think that God has given mankind that desire. I mean, who wants their life to just be wasted and not matter? So would you like to be a person that brings about reform or change? Maybe even reform or change within our fellowship. Reform or change in this community. Reform or change in this state. Isn't this what politics always do? I mean, they always are looking for that next person to come in and reform the party or reform the country. Well, in our own sphere of influence, starting perhaps with our family, maybe there's some change that needs to come about there. Would you like to be a reformer in your family? Bring about change from lies to truth, from uh, immorality to morality. Would you like to be a person that promotes change within our church family, within our community? If you would, I hope that you do, then Ezra serves as a model for us on how to do that. And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you are a person that, that, that what I've just been saying resonates with you, that I would like to be a reformer, I would like to promote change, whatever sphere of influence I have, then how can I go about doing it? Ezra serves as the model. And I go back to what I said about Romans 15.4. These things were written for our learning. This story of Ezra, in this particular section in Ezra, where we meet this seldom talked about guy in the Old Testament, what methods did he use to bring about change? This group of people that had already been living in Jerusalem for 57 years needed the leadership of Ezra, and he would provide spiritual reformation. So the rest of our section here, number one, the description of Ezra, is going to talk about how he did that. How he did that. And I wish you would be thinking along with me, you know, like, you think, well, well, what would be the secret for me in my family or in my community or in my church to bring about that positive reform? What would be the thing that is needed most? I wish you would think about that question before we even get there. So in describing Ezra, there are three main things that verses 1 to 10 talk about. Again, this is going to be the heart of the message. So the first thing it talks about, letter A, I guess, would be under this, is Ezra's ancestry. Ezra's ancestry. All the generations, I read those funny names, Ucky and Bucky. I mean, it sounds like a chipmunk cartoon, doesn't it? Uh, but these are these fathers that, that are in the line of Ezra's ancestry. And when it says son of, it seems short, doesn't it? Because we know there's from Aaron uh, back in the year, uh, uh, what would it be? Uh, oh, I'm going to say a wrong number, but this would have been thousands of years prior to Ezra, and there's not enough fathers there. It doesn't, doesn't connect. But when you see son of, sometimes the generations will skip. It just it may mean great-grandfather. and It's just the point that is trying to be made here about Ezra is the, that he is connected to who, ultimately? What, who is the final name? Look at it in your Bibles. Who is the final name in the ancestry that Ezra wants to make sure comes across? Ezra is connected to who? Aaron. He's connected to Aaron, which means he is a part of the priesthood. He is, the, he is of the Levites, and he is going to be able to serve as a mediator between God and men. Ezra was in that position. His credentials are very impressive. Um, Leah's been, Leah got a free thing for Ancestry.com and has been researching our family, and we have a very famous person in our, in our family. Uh, famous, I guess, in the sense that he, he served in the American Revolution, and and uh, made these tomahawks that are highly valued even still today. So that's pretty impressive. 
Uh, pretty, pretty impressive. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever used a tomahawk except one time at a boys' brigade campout when I hatcheted myself right here in the knee and had to get three or four stitches. So that, that DNA from that ancestor did not follow through to me. Some people are getting really into this ancestry now, right? The 23andMe, draw your DNA, find out where you are. And then, and then some people have been distressed to find out they have some slave owners in their family or, or some... some uh, just kind of un, unsavory characters back there that they would like to deny. Maybe even a father or a grandfather closer to us that was kind of a deadbeat spiritually. I want to make a simple application about this in regards to Ezra. I don't know what you're laughing at, but I, I'll ask you later. Here's, here's a specific application, okay? Like, so these things were written for our learning. What's, this, what's the point here? here here's, a, here's a thought that you should have spiritually. Lineage doesn't matter spiritually. Lineage doesn't matter. The only truth spiritually where lineage matters is all of us are sinners. In other words, it's not positive. It's not necessarily positive or negative. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.12, inherently and by our own parents... All of us are sinners separated from God. We enter this world at enmity with Him. We have, some of us have heard and responded to the gospel call, which makes us sons and daughters of God. Others may still need to exercise that uh, attitude of repentance and faith to trust Christ for salvation. When I say lineage doesn't matter beyond that, here's what I mean, and I want to encourage you about this. Maybe your parents and grandparents were godly people. And you can look back on your life and you say, God has really blessed me with a heritage of godly people. Um, an individual that we know has, has had a long line of godly people and has taken as a verse, uh, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Like God has just blessed in a special way that there's a heritage of faithful believers in my lineage. If that is the case, then celebrate God's mercy to you, but realize it means nothing as far as your relationship to God. Um, We might run into people who feel like they have a a good footing with God just simply because their parents were believers. We used to talk to, in fact, I still do talk to my ninth and 10th graders uh, often about this, about saying, I mean, 9th and 10th grade, 14, 15, 16 years old. This is the age where teenagers have to decide if they are going to own their parents' faith or reject it. For a certain period of time, they're going to, you know, just by discipline, come to church and experience uh, spiritual training. But at some point, they're going to have to say, that's a bunch of, uh, that's for my parents, or, or I really want to embrace that. We cannot depend on our godly lineage. Uh, Each one must make a personal decision to follow Christ. Now what if your parents were spiritual failures? Spiritual deadbeats? You are not bound to repeat those mistakes. You are not, none of us are, in a better or worse position to succeed spiritually based on how close our parents were to Christ. You follow what I'm saying? Some of the most godly men in the Bible had deadbeat children. Remember Samuel? The people came to Samuel demanding a king 
for a couple of reasons. They wanted to be like the nations around them who had kings. But the other reason was because Samuel's kids were, were off the mark. They had gone off the tracks and were not following God. And we think to ourselves, how can that even be possible? Even, even others in the scripture have that same uh, situation. Our spiritual success and failures are not due to our heritage or lineage. They are due to our own decisions and commitments to the Word of God. And that can give you encouragement either way. Um, it can encourage you if uh, your parents were very godly and spiritual, say, I want to follow along in that line of godly people and make my own decisions for Christ and, do, and follow in that heritage. Or you say, hey, I'm going to break that cycle of, of ungodly and I'm, I'm going to pass it on to my children and, and live for Christ. In other words, the responsibility falls squarely on our own shoulders. Lineage doesn't matter. I, want th- I wanted that to be an encouraged you. Letter B, that's his ancestry. Letter B, his skill. He had a specific skill according to verse number 6. So verses 1 to 5 talk about his ancestry. Verse 6 says, he was a scribe who was skilled in the law of Moses. The word skilled here has the idea of rapid or quick. It has two different ideas. He was quick to be able to find things in the law. In other words, Ezra probably would have won every sword drill. But he was also quick to understand and grasp its truth. Okay? So this was a special skill that he had. Now, skill can refer to a God-given gift, which also must, however, be developed through practice and training. Um, We mustn't think that the understanding of Scripture and that skill or rapidity in the Scripture is only given to a certain few to whom God has kind of given that God-given skill. Again, I want this to be an encouragement to you too. Skills are developed uh, and, and increased over practice and time. Remember in the, in the Bible drills sometimes we'd stand here for like three, five, six, seven minutes. <laughs> Kids still be looking, couldn't find it. The reason we do that is to try to train them. And the reason you take up sewing or hiking or uh, you know, whatever skill that might be that you want to develop, you, you develop that over time. Here's what I hear a lot. I hear this a lot. You're a pastor, and I'm not going to get into a Bible debate with you. Sometimes we'll be talking to some, uh, usually a believer, and we're talking about some certain issue, and I'll bring up a certain verse, and on a number of occasions the person has said, well, I can't get into a scripture battle with you. You're a pastor. And inherently what they are saying is that a pastor has a certain responsibility to the Word of God, and I don't. And that's just not right. Each one of us has a responsibility, responsibility to be able to study and, and become skilled in the Word of God. Now, I have a much greater privilege in that it's my job. You all, you all pay me to study the Word of God, and that's a great benefit that I, I get that and I understand. But you mustn't use this as a crutch to say, well, that's his job. My job is to raise my family, do my thing, and let him be skilled in the Word of God, and I'll just kind of... I, I really get frustrated, especially when I hear more mature believers saying that. I can understand um, not necessarily being intimidated by someone who knows the Bible very well, but, but it is not right to use that as a, 
as an excuse not to be skilled yourself because anybody can develop the skill. Anybody can develop the skill of being uh, understanding in, in, in the Word of God. Let's note one other thing here about the skill of the Word of God uh, before we move on. Look at the verse, uh, verse number 6. Um, Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which should be all of our desire, okay? And, and you can develop that as well. Uh, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord his God was, was on him. Notice what it says about the law of Moses here. It says that it, he is skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given. What is, what is the passage clearly saying? It's describing the origin or source of the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It is clearly describing the source as who? Not Moses, but God, it, it is the Lord who gave that to Moses. There, there is perhaps no other section in the Bible more scoffed at and people are more skeptical of than the law of Moses and specifically Genesis. Uh, it's a book that is attacked primarily by Satan primarily because of its foundational truths of creation, of family, of marriage, of the fall, of the flood. These are, these are foundational things that if Satan can destroy uh, those truths, then everything else kind of crumbles. And here we have in Ezra, no, no uh, further explanation except to say assuredly that that is the, the, the Word of God. When I read the Word here from Ezra today, I said at the very end of it, this is the Word of God. What you're holding in your hands there, what's open on your chair, on your laps, has been given. It is the revelation of God. And we have the privilege and responsibility as followers of Christ to be skilled in this book. Now, we're still not coming to the answer to my question, how can a person bring about reform and change? But the answer should be starting to light upon you a little bit. We need to be committed to this book. Psalm 119, so many verses that we could pull out. I pulled out three. Verses 74, 52, and 66 says, I put my hope in your word. Another, I believe in your commandments. I promise to keep your word. I put my hope in your word. I believe in your commandments. I promise to keep your word. This psalmist who said those things amongst I mean, how many verses does Psalm 119 have? 176? Uh, all those verses that express his love and determination to obey God's law is specifically what is said about Ezra thirdly. And that is his determination. So his ancestry, his skill in the Word of God, and now his determination. So what we've just said about God's Word, his holy inspired Word, this is what Derek read to us at the beginning, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It said all Scripture is given by God and it's inspired and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteous, that the man or person of God might be equipped for every good work, might be equipped to provide the change and reform that is needed in our church and community. And this is the problem with these guys on the video. The problem is, is that they came to start to doubt God's word, right? And rely more on their own thinking. So it's important that we connect that. So here's Ezra's determination in 
verse number 10. Verse number 7, 8, and 9 kind of instruct us as to what he's doing. He's leaving. He's taking a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. We'll catch up with him next week on what he does when he arrives. But here is the final description of Ezra in verse number 10, his determination. Ezra had set his heart. He's fixed and determined to do what? To study the law of God, to study the law of the Lord, Second, and to do it. Third, and to teach it. To teach the statutes and rules in Israel. This serves as a, as a perfect, powerful statement about Ezra. What is his connection to the Word of God? This is a verse uh, that is often uh, given to pastors, or pastors will often say this is, this is an important verse to them because of the determination that Ezra had to study and practice the Word of God. But the progression here is very important, right? What is the progression? What happens first? Help me with it. What happens first? What does Ezra do first? He studies it, then he does what? Obeys it, and then he teaches it. To get the order wrong messes everything up. To teach it without studying it, and we've seen some of that sometimes, to just kind of proclaim things without having a full knowledge of it, or to teach it without doing it, brings about hypocrisy. So the order is very important. And even though this is a passage that is sometimes frequently a challenge given to pastors or seminarians, it is a model for everybody. Ezra is a model reformer, not just for professional pastors. He's a model reformer for the grandmas that want to impact their children, for the fathers that want to reform their homes, for young people that want to reform their college or school. It is a model for everyone. All of us have a responsibility to study, all of us have a responsibility to obey, and all of us have a responsibility to teach. This doesn't mean that you're going to have the, the pulpit or a class. All of us may not have that opportunity. But every one of us teach. Every one of us teach. In fact, I think it's 2 Timothy. It might be 1 Timothy. It might be Titus, actually. It's one of the pastoral epistles. I didn't write it down. I just wrote it as it came to my mind. Challenge the older men to do what? To teach the younger men. And challenge the older women to teach the younger women. And, and all of us would have someone in that category. I've said this before, and it's, uh, it's helpful to me. Everyone needs a, uh, now I'm going to forget it because I didn't write it down. It just came to me here. Um, everyone needs a, uh, a pattern, a pal, and a project. Everyone needs a pattern, a pal, and a project. Um, in other words, someone that, someone that is modeling the Scripture for you, someone who maybe is in the same uh, spiritual growth uh, areas that you are in, and then someone you can be pouring into yourself. So all of you have a responsibility to teach, but if you try to do that without studying and obeying, even not in a formal setting, you will teach grandchildren and children and others. You've you got to do it in this order. Study, obey, teach. And all of us have to understand the responsibility. I'm trying to put... Uh, put the burden upon you instead of you seeing, well, Andy's the one that's going to bring about reform in the church. Andy's going, to, Andy's going to be used of God to bring about the change. Maybe not. Maybe God is going to raise up someone from within the church to provide the change that is necessary or needed. We said that Ezra was a model reformer. So now we're going to come to the answer to the question. 
What did Israel need? Israel came back and was a liberated people, but remember they were facing opposition from hostile nations. Uh, they were certainly going to deal with idolatry again, uh, but they're seeking to establish their country and their worship practices. Ezra's coming in to be their leader. And what does Ezra see as their biggest need? What do these people need? They need what? What is going to be the agent for reforming them and changing them? The Scripture. The Word of God. The best way for us to pursue and advance the kingdom of Christ is to study the Bible, practice the Bible, and teach the Bible. With us existing in an increasingly hostile culture, and all of us in here, I trust, desiring to see an advancement of the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that there is no method, there is no program that will be as effective as this. There is no program or method that I as a father can have with my children that will impact them more than me studying, practicing, and teaching the Bible. Do you understand that? There is no man-made method out there that exists. Some parental book or training or, or counselor or seminar that can somehow supersede my own studying, and Leah's, studying, obeying, and teaching the Scripture. That is going to have the impact on my family the most effective way. Same with all of you. What is going to impact your grandchildren? It's the study, practice, and teaching of the Scripture. What is going to impact your friends and classmates? It is the studying, practice, and teaching of Scripture. What is going to change this church? We are increasingly tempted to buy into other methods to bring people here and to entertain them when they come. <coughs> Leah sent me a photo that she found, or somebody did online, that one church is doing, I think it's this Sunday, come and meet your favorite fairy tale character at church. And get your picture taken with Cinderella or you know, who, who else? It was some movie character, some heroes from the movie, I mean, Avengers or whatever. That is nonsense. That is nonsense. That may attract a crowd, but it will not reform or change a community. It will not bring about the spiritual growth that we desire to see. There are methods of growing the church, but the only effective one is Scripture being studied, practiced, and taught. This is convicting for me. I want you to note one other thing before we go on to the two other things. And I told you that this was going to be the main one and that taking the most time. And then we'll just tack on the other two in just a minute. But look at verse number 9 and 10 together. We've looked at 10 and, and this is what Ezra sees as the agent of change. And so if you want to become an agent of change and a moral reformer, then understand it's through the Word of God that that is going to happen. It is through your personal study, your personal practice, and your personal teaching. For on the first day of the month, this is him going back and, on, and, he, and he went up to Jerusalem. It took him four months and it says, the good hand of his God was upon him, for he had set his heart to study. I, I talk about this a lot. When you do Bible study, you should look for these little connecting words. They're words that are um, words of reason or action. Uh, words like therefore or so that or because. They're telling you why something is true. So in verse 10, you see one of those. It's the word for. First word of verse 10 says, Ezra had, for Ezra had said. Well, it tells us that God's good hand is on him because 
of his commitment to study the Word of God. See that? So, so Ezra's commitment to study the Word of God and practice it and do it resulted in God's hand being upon him. Part two, decrees of the king. Let's, let's lead into this. The, Ezra, uh, the king, Artaxerxes, makes two major decrees. I'm going to leave you to read verses 11 to 26 on your own. But primarily, he's saying two main things. He's saying you may have permission to go and you may have the provisions that you need. But there are some statements in there I want to point out to you. Verse number 13. Just, we'll just look at a few verses here. Okay, I want to bring this to a close. Verse number 13 says, I make a decree, the king speaking, that anyone who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. Ezra, anybody who wants to go with you can go. No longer in bondage, no longer in exile. If they want to go, go. Look at verse 15. And you can carry silver and gold which has been freely offered to you. So not only can you go, you can take these provisions. Look at verse number 17. Take bulls and rams and lambs and other offerings so you can put them on the altar. So you, we're going to provide for your worship needs. Look at verse number 20. Blank check. Whatever else is required, take it from the king's treasury. This is great, isn't it? Anybody who wants to can go, take all the gold and silver you want, take all the animals you need, and if I missed anything, take it from the king's treasury. Why was Artaxerxes so motivated to do this for Ezra? Was he impressed with his ancestry? He said, oh man, here we got a guy that goes all the way back to Aaron. He's in the priestly family. Let's give him what he wants. Is he impressed even with his skill of studying God's word? Is he, impre- he must be an important person because he has the ear of the king. It says he could go and talk to the king. He's an important, busy person. Maybe his position caused Artaxerxes to do this. The only reason Artaxerxes did this is because the good hand of God was on Ezra. That is why Artaxerxes uh, allowed these things to, to be decreed. It makes me think of a proverb that isn't always true, but is a, is, a, is a maxim for life. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him, the Bible says. If you look all the way down to uh, verse number 28, as he concludes his decrees, It says, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods for imprisonment. He's also equipping Ezra with the ability to appoint judges, we kind of skipped that part, and to exercise justice to follow the law of God. The only reason he makes all of these wide-ranging decrees There's no reason why we think he's impressed with Ezra in any way. The only explanation is that God's hand is on him. I read a book uh, in preparation this week by a man named Jim Hamilton called Exploring Ezra or something like that. And he asks two questions at the end of his section. And here's kind of how I want to finish. A few more minutes. I want to finish this way. Would you like to be someone who changes the world. Answer that out loud. Would you like to be someone who changes the world? Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty massive. We didn't come to Romeo to start this church just to have a group of people that 
would pay us. Because we need a church, we need, some, we need a job. I hope that with the right motives, we started this church to see God impact families in Romeo. See God change lives. To provide a place that we didn't feel like existed in this community that just taught the Scripture. To encourage and edify other Christians. So that when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, not for my own glory by any means, although that is a temptation for all of us, that we could look back and say, God did a great work in that community for His glory. I don't know anybody that would want to be a part of a church that doesn't have that at its, at its goal. I mean, I would like to see new missionaries added. I would like to see more people reached with the gospel. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have that sort of change? And for you to be a major part of that change. Wouldn't you? That's what Jim Hamilton asks in his book. Would you like to be a person? Well, what is the answer? What kind of a person can make those types of reforms and changes? He answers this, and I agree. It is a person who knows God. Would you like to be someone who changes the world? Answer, then know God. And what's the second question? How do you know God? And the answer to that is, please help me, through His Word. Those two simple question and answers frame exactly what happened with Ezra. Ezra, I don't imagine that, and, and, and I'm not saying it, that it's my, I don't want to misspeak or make this about me in any way, but I'm not saying that every time I come to church or pray or study, I'm thinking, we've got to change the world. I'm just trying to be faithful. And I don't think Ezra marched down from Babylon, Babylon saying, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change the world. That, that's not what we're saying. But those who do end up changing the world are people that know God through His Word. That's why every study we have is important. Every opportunity you have personally to study your, the Word of God is critical. To go back to Psalm 119, another couple of verses. Verse number 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet your word is to my taste. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. All of us who desire to serve God and make a difference in others' lives and advance the kingdom, let us make a renewed effort to study God's word to do it and to teach it. Leave the pressure of lesser methods. Stop bowing to the idea that the world somehow has the, the right solution to change the heart of our children or to change the heart of, of our spouse who's unsaved or to change the heart of our friends and family we know. That, that the world somehow has the answer, and the gospel will come in and help a little bit, but the world will provide the real needed truth. Please do not bow to those methods. It is the word of God. Now, just so we can conclude in the right place, look at verses 27 and 28. Ezra does the right thing here after all of these wonderful things happened, and he's returning to Jerusalem. We'll look at chapter 8 and 9 next week and see what happens when he gets there and the reform that he begins the change that he provides, God using him. Look at the right motive he has, and this must be our motive too. The doxology unto God. This is part three. The doxology unto God. Just a minute. 
Look what he says. Blessed be the Lord, a, a word of praise, a word of blessing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Ezra's saying, I didn't have anything to do with this. Even though the scripture tells us he did, in a sense, right? You remember, in verse, in verse 9 and 10, it says, the hand of God was on him because he studied the word. And Ezra, Ezra later is praying and saying, blessed be God, for he alone has done this. He put this thing into the heart of the king to beautify the house and extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord was my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Chapter 8. See what Ezra does? He says, the reason all these positive things are happening is only a result of God's blessing. And he alone deserves the praise and honor and glory. Let's bow our heads to pray. And just before I pray, I want everyone not looking around, being quiet. I don't normally do this sort of thing. Um, I thought it would be good for us to do today. We so desire with you, I think, to be a reformer used by God to change families, individuals for Christ, for His glory. But the necessary means by which that will happen is intricately connected to our study of God's Word. So, if the Lord has spoken to you regarding that and your need to improve or to recommit or to rededicate yourself to the study and practice of God's Word as the sole means of reform and change. If God has somehow spoken to you in that way and, and, and you, you believe that you need to improve and grow in this area, would you raise your hand and I want to pray for us who have that desire. Thank you so much. Once I see your hand, you can put it down. Thank you. Yep, many. Appreciate that. So good, thank you. I don't normally do that, but our church is at a special and critical place where we need we need 100% agreement on this. That we are, and I'm not saying we don't, I just want to use this as an encouragement to study and practice God's Word. Let's, let's ask Him for this and I'll pray for us. Father, many, majority of people raised their hands and said this is their desire. I'm so grateful for that as their pastor to see that. I need this too. So many times, God, I, I study and prepare to preach and teach and to the, to the minimization of my own personal reflections in your word and help me in that way. Help me to serve as a model to this congregation, to love and practice your word. Help me to serve as a model to my family in this way. God, for the many who have agreed that this is also their desire, would you honor that desire in their lives by by using your spirit to motivate them to deeper study and obedience. And in that, would you then give them opportunities to teach, to share the things they're learning with their children or spouse or others? Father, we are in the midst of a, of a battle for the souls of this community and COVID has limited our effectiveness People are fearful and scared. 
can't really approach people's homes without wondering if they really want us there or they're nervous or scared, so it's been difficult. It's difficult because other churches can provide things we cannot and maybe don't even want to. And so we would say with Ezra that it it is completely up to you to move in the hearts of people. And we've seen in today's lesson that you'll do that as we are committed to your word. Help the men in this congregation to serve as models to their wives, to any children they have at home or grandchildren. Help the women of our congregation not to be not to be timid to speak in our classes and, and to teach us what, what they've been learning as they speak up in discussion and help them to, as they have influence with friends or co-workers or their children, grandchildren, to be the godly women training up a generation of others to follow. Help those in here who are young in their faith to press on to know Christ through His Word. And if there's one in here today that does not know Jesus in salvation, we pray that you would bring them to faith. Our hearts have been greatly blessed to look at Ezra, this model, and we pray that we would not soon forget the things that we've learned and committed to you even as we close our service now. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how we're going to end our service on that solemn note. Um, Leah's going to come and just provide some music for us as we leave. But I want to encourage you to think about the things we've shared. I'm so looking forward to um, getting back to a regular schedule. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school. Uh, only a week or two more and we'll be back on that full schedule. So God bless you as you have a, a good rest of your day and reflect on the things we've talked about. All right, take care. We'll see you on Wednesday night. <laughs>